Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 516, that's 516, of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing and publishing and how you can succeed as an author or writer. Or maybe you've joined us because you're an avid reader and you want to hear from the authors on the show. Well, this now is a writing tip and it comes from a question that was featured in our podcast community on Facebook. By the way, if you're not a member of the community, it's free to join. We'd love to have you in there. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. It is a really supportive group where you can connect with other writers and ask questions and find out about the world of writing. Now, one of our members asked about morning pages, and thank you for that question, by the way, and they said that although they can find them helpful, morning pages that is, sometimes they can focus on negative thoughts. Now, if you don't know, morning pages, which were made famous by Julia Cameron in The Artist's Way, the book The Artist's Way, are literally pages that you sit down and write each morning or whenever you can. I, I actually do mine in the evenings. So um, they, I, for me, they're evening pages. But usually it means setting aside a dedicated 10 minutes or whatever to just dump your thoughts down, writing out longhand in a notebook or a journal. And once you're done, you can either carry on with your day or, you know, plunge into a creative project. The idea is that you clear your head. But as this member said, sometimes the thoughts that come out can be negative or you know, maybe you spend the whole time moaning about work or renovations or, or whatever and it doesn't feel like useful creative time. There were some great responses to this because everyone shared their experiences of morning pages and whether it was useful and so on. Um, as I said, it's a wonderful community, including a great response from best-selling author Kate Forsyth, who of course is also one of our wonderful teachers at the Australian Writers' Centre. The thing to keep in mind is to think about what you want from your morning pages or your evening pages. There are no rules. I mean, you can write one page or three pages or in the mornings or in the evenings, every day or only on weekdays. I mean, some people find noting down all of their anxious thoughts is, uh, you know, really cathartic and it really clears their mind. Other people like to start with three things they're grateful for. A friend of mine uh, does that. Kate Forsyth explains how she uses journaling, which of course is another way to describe morning pages. So this is what Kate said in response in that Facebook group. She said, I write in my journal every day and it's an important part of my creative practice. I'm not keen on the insistence of three pages though, which is what Julia Cameron suggests in an, The Artist's Way. Sometimes I only write a few words. Sometimes I write pages and pages. I write a lot about my writing and I find it helps me work through problems in the book I'm writing. I also write about what I'm reading, eating, doing. I scribble down inspirational quotes, lines of poetry, what I've seen or heard or felt, my dreams, my memories. I don't really read it again. That's not the point. I've been writing my diary since I was 11 and can't imagine life without it. 
So that's what Kate said. And, you know, I agree with her. I think that it's a great thing and an important thing for me is that I don't read it again as well because it's it's more of a a way of me just to get out all the thoughts in my head and then my head is clear for the day. So anyway, the takeaway here is you set a routine that works for you. And if you don't find writing morning pages valuable or you'd rather spend that time on a creative project, then that's fine. Do it instead. But I would suggest giving it a go anyway. And you don't have to follow it to the letter of what is prescribed in the artist's way. You can just start with it. Start with what is suggested, which is three pages of writing, freehand writing, longhand every morning, and then evolve it to what suits you. All right, now let's move on to our competition this week. And I'm so excited to bring this to you because it's from one of my favorite authors, Chris Hammer, who we actually interviewed back in episode 361. And then he did a wonderful story session for us in episode 447. So Chris's latest book, The Tilt, is just as you would expect, awesome. And it's my giveaway to you this week. And who better to tell you about it than Chris himself. Hi there, I'm Chris Hammer. uh, And this is a shout out to Valerie and everyone there at the Australian Writers' Centre. This is my new book, The Tilt. Uh, It's set in the Barmamillawa Forest, the biggest river red gum forest in the world, down on the Murray River. And there are three different timelines. There's a young boy mining his family cattle in the forest, during the dark days of the Second World War. There's a teenage girl growing up in a nearby town in the 1970s. And then there's the contemporary story with Nell Buchanan, the homicide detective that we first met in Treasure and Dirt. And across the decades, those storylines start to intertwine. Their, their, Their fates are connected. In the contemporary story with Nell, She starts off investigating what she thinks is a rather humdrum cold case, but then as more bodies turn up and the violence escalates, she wonders what she's got herself into and how these past stories might affect her own. But the real clincher in this is that Nell herself grew up in this area. And as her investigation continues, she begins to suspect that members of her own family are implicated in the murders. And I think it's that that personal involvement of Nell that's really going to appeal to readers. So that's The Tilt out now. Big thanks to Chris for recording that for me. And I have three copies to give away. So you could win one of three copies of The Tilt by Chris Hammer. Just go to writercentercomau slash win for your chance to win. That's writercentercomau slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? The word of the week this week is thaumatrope. That's Thorma, that's T-H-A-U-M-A, trope, Thorma trope. Do you know what it is? Okay, it's a card with different pictures on opposite sides. So like, like, well, like a horse, say, on one side and a rider on the other, which, when twirled rapidly, causes the pictures to appear as if they're combined. 
So this was a popular toy in the 19th century. And if you search YouTube, you can actually find lots of videos of a thaumatrope in action. Yes, I really got into YouTube during all those lockdowns, but um, it's a rabbit hole that sometimes you can't escape from. Anyway, thaumatrope. And that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book's success. You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our online self-paced courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau slash publishing. That's writerscentercomau slash publishing. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. And stay tuned after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. Kate McCaffrey is an internationally published author whose latest book is Double Lives for Adults, but she's already a successful published author of five award-winning novels for young adults, including Destroying Avalon, In Ecstasy, Beautiful Monster, Crashing Down, and Saving Jazz. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. I'm so excited for you in this book, Double Lives. Uh, that's This is your first adult novel because you have written very many um, YA, young adult novels before, but this is your first adult novel and what a cracker. For people who haven't got it yet, can you tell us what it's about? Um, so Double Lives is uh, it's a story about a, a journalist, Amy Reinhardt, and she's returned back to Perth from being in Melbourne. She pitches this idea about a live podcast to her her TV, her, her radio station, and um, she finds this case, which is Jonah Scott, who murdered his girlfriend, disposed of the body, but then when he was um, confronted by the police, he immediately confessed and 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 pleaded um, guilty and and went to prison. And she thinks there's something really strange about this. So she uses that as her podcast to investigate the strangeness of the crime. Um, And in doing that, then she has to investigate a lot about her past. And so it's written as a frame narrative, the story within the story. And the internal story is, of course, the podcast and the external story is, is Amy's life. So clever. There are so many elements that are really of the zeitgeist at the moment. How did you come up with the idea for this book? Um, I don't really know, actually. <laughs> you must. <laughs> <laughs> I um I wanted to write, I wanted to write a story and I wanted to I wanted to discuss um th- there's a transgender storyline in it. And I, I wanted to look at that, but I wanted to look at it from a very much a cisgendered perspective. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I am a YA 
writer. I didn't feel that I could locate it in the schoolyard, which is where I would normally have explored, you know, an, an, an issue. Um, so I started to write it with this journalist. Um, and I think actually it's it's the the origin of the idea actually came from the Harry Crawford, Eugenia Fellini case, which Amy cites at the very start. Um, that's really what triggered me into looking at it through a sort of a crime lens, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that, that um, Harry Crawford story was just incredible. You know, it was just an incredible story. And so I wanted to embed that in the narrative. And, and I think that was where, where, I, where I went um, from there. So your catalyst to cross from young adult, from writing YA to adult, was because of the exploration that you wanted to do into this topic. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, when, I was, when I was still teaching, because I, I was a high school teacher for 20-odd years, um, and it was I always had the confidence of the, of the students. You know, they'd come and talk to me about their issues and, you know, fitting in. And, and most of my YA books really came from kids talking to me. And in the later years, because um, I, I resigned from teaching in 2018, um, in the later years, it was mostly about identity and, and particularly gender identity. Um, so I'd have the kids come and talk to me. And I was teaching in a um, private um, Catholic school and it was becoming a, an issue in as much as kids were transitioning and the school didn't really know how to deal with it. It was like, well, what uniform do they wear and what toilets do they use? And it was just that kind of what I found most interesting was the kids, the kids were completely fine with it. Like the kids were so tolerant, they were so accepting and they were like, so what's your big deal? But it was the older generation, my generation, uh, the executive that didn't know how to deal with this. And basically um, I remember one staff meeting and a member of executive telling us about this kid transitioning and, and then mixing up the pronouns. And then she got so exasperated and she threw her hands in the air and she said, oh, that poor mother, that poor mother. And for me, it was like, wow, this is, this is how it affects other people, not, not the person themselves. And, and I think that was, that was really the, 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 the reason why I wanted to explore that. Mm. So cast your mind back to when you first started writing, um, you know, your first YA novel. What made you want to write, <laughs> write novels? Um, I always wanted to write novels. Um, and I think that, you know, when I was when I was at school and the, the teacher said, you're doing a short story, to me that was like a gift. Yay. And I could write a short story that was like a small novella and I'd put a cover page on it. And my mum would, my mum would like machine stitch the, the the edge. So I would be handing in this little novel with an imprint page. I just, I just always wanted to write stories. And I think that when I wrote my first YA, which was Destroying Avalon, um, I'd been, you know, teaching English to this, this group of people who actually hated reading and that was something so alien, you know, how do you hate reading? And um, so I was teaching English and I was looking for books that I could get my kids to connect with and they connected with The Outsiders. And The Outsiders was written in, you know, 1960 
five maybe, um, and it was American, but it was the the realness and the 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 relatability. And so that's what I wanted to do. And so that's why, you know, I, I wrote YA because I just wanted, I wanted to write for kids who didn't like reading and they could read it and they'd go at the end of it, oh, yeah, no, that was okay. And it was like, good, you finished it. <laughs> <laughs> How many YA novels did you write? Five. I've wow. got five. Um, and I'm actually doing a PhD at the moment at Curtin University and it is, uh, the topic is, um, uh, YA fiction, controversial YA fiction as a vehicle. And I think that it's such an important vehicle, you know, like in the safety of the classroom or the school, you can deal with controversial topics and you can allow kids to have, an, you know, express their opinion and it's very safe. Mm. So, um, yeah, so, but I didn't feel like I could do that with double lives. I didn't feel like I could locate it as a YA novel, which is why I've gone into into this area so um double lives then you've gone into adult fiction um did you find it more liberating or more restrictive maybe i don't know uh writing for an adult audience as opposed to what you used to with ya i don't think i don't i don't know about um other writers but i don't think i particularly have an audience in mind and I think that you just write, you write this story and I think that often where it lands is really more of a marketing thing, you know, from a, from a publishing perspective. Um, when I wrote uh, Double Lives, I didn't realise I was writing an adult book. I, do, I was just writing a book. And my agent um, firstly was sort of taking it out as a YA and then she went, I think we need to say that this is an adult. And the minute she said it's an adult book, it... It, it got a contract. Mm -hmm. So I think it's writing is is you, you just write the story and um, and I, it's 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 no more challenging, I don't think. It's the, the challenge is, you know, trying to come up with something that's compelling or that's going to make people want to, you know, turn the next page. I think that's, that's really what it is. Mm. And as you say, you have... A couple of stories. I mean, you have a story within a story, in a sense, yeah. and you need to. Um, the investigation that she's doing needs to come to some kind of resolution. So, did you know what that resolution was going to be without discussing any spoilers? Did you know what that resolution was going to be before you started? How, or in other words, did you plan the whole thing, or did <laughs> you see what happened? <laughs> yeah, I. I didn't plan it. And I think um, we actually had the official book launch last night um, and I was asked that very same question and it's, no, I I actually have no idea where I'm going to end up when I start. And it's sometimes it's really interesting. There's, there's a part in Double Lives which is about Amy's past and when I got to that, when I wrote that part, I was as surprised as, the readers have been you know they've said oh I didn't see that coming and I was like I didn't see that coming either I just it just happened and so no I I did I had no idea where this was going and when I got to that final resolution it, it felt right but I hadn't planned it no so when you say because you know I understand what you're saying you you it, these the writing process I'm curious to know whether it happens while you're 
thinking about it, percolating about it, um, going for a walk uh, in the shower, or it actually happens when you're writing? Yes, that is such a good question. And the word percolating is is how I actually think it does happen. Um, and I think for me, um, up until 2018, being a full-time high school teacher, um, English teacher, you know, um, I was always percolating the ideas. And then when I would have the opportunity to write, which was generally in the two-week school, two weeks of the school holidays, it would just like come out, you know. Uh, and I remember with Safe and Jazz, which was my fifth YA, um, I wrote, I wrote 10,000 words one day and I wrote 14,000 words the next day. And <laughs> I know I was, and I, and I met, and I mentioned it, it was very, very silly of me. I was I, actually the second day I'd driven to Fremantle to where my publisher was. There was a get together with some writers. And as I was driving, I was like, oh, my fingers are so sore. And I thought, oh, I must be developing arthritis. And I got to this thing and I said, oh, you know, I've written like 24,000 words over the last two days. And there was this horror and everybody looked at me like, and I was like, oh, I didn't mean to sound boastful. <laughs> I was just like, you know, my fingers hurt. But it, it is. I think that going for a walk, uh, doing the gardening, cleaning the house, it's always, it's always happening. And then when you sit down, there's probably a lot more planned than then you then then you even I so I sit down and I just start writing but I think I've been planning it for quite a while. Yes. Now what kind of research did you have to do for this book because you know um your protagonist is a journalist and there's obviously crime involved. So what kind of research did you have to do? Okay. Um it, extensive. It's extensive and the, the, as you said because there's so many different things that that I had to find out about like journalism because because I'm not one. Um, the the transgender storyline, which was so it was so important to to get that right and to um, so that that started with my students talking to them and and then being involved in um, online communities of the you know LGBTQI plus. Um, then uh, my my publisher got a sensitivity reader just so that we could make sure that, that we were being mindful and, and respectful. Um, then, of course, I deal with cults and um, there's a there's a FBI deprogrammer uh, of, of cult members, so I had to investigate that. Um, it's extensive. And, again, you know, like part of my PhD is looking at the you know, the, the cycle of, of research and practice. Um, and this, Double Lives, was was actually a, a prime example of how you have to go from one to the other and back again. And so you spend a long time researching for, you know, a paragraph maybe. Wow. Yeah. Because from what you're saying, your process is that you need to, because you're not planning it, you are waiting till you percolate <laughs> and then you realize oh i need that bit of information so yes. you have to you have to is it a stop to your flow to have to then go research it i i don't think so because people talk about writer's block and i've never had writer's block because if i don't know something then i go into that let me find out about it so it, no it's a constant flow whether it's writing this or reading that and then you know it's it's that 
toing and froing. So it's it's it you're always you're always working. Is it do you fall into a trap of going down the rabbit hole that you just really, you know, way too far? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. And and um I find that yeah, so you 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 start to explore one thing and then you find yourself you're way over there. That actually might be information for another book. You know, so I, I know that um it was funny when I when I wrote my my fifth YA, which is Saving Jazz. I actually sat down to write a completely different book. I actually sat down to write a book about toxic masculinity in the AFL. And as I started researching, you um, could write an encyclopedia on that. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, that is my PhD: is toxic <laughs> masculinity in the AFL. So I so I sat down to write it, and I came across this article about this young girl. And that totally changed my direction. So I shelved the AFL story, wrote Saving Jazz, and for my PhD I've just come back to it. So, yeah, the rabbit hole takes you in, but it can also, you know, give you other, other, other things that you're going to explore. But when you are doing that research, because it sounds like, yes, the research is part of the flow. You're just kind of zigzagging from writing to research, writing to research. But when you're doing the research, what kind of record keeping are you doing? Like are you just researching it and you're retaining it or have you got some kind of system where you've got, it depends, I guess, on how, how what your personality is like, but have you got some kind of system where you're recording it somewhere? Yes. Um, it's an old-fashioned system um, and it's pen and paper. <laughs> it's, it's um, I mean, if I could just, oh, here we are. So for whatever book, whatever book I'm writing, I just sort of start to make my notes and then I go back to them and I, I go, oh, that was a good idea. I'll use that now. It's, it's pen and paper. I've, every book I've written, I've kept the notes. Wow. Mm. And do you keep a separate notebook for each yeah. book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some of them have more than one, but it's, um, I can't do it. I can't research and type or, and I think that's part of that, you know, that being able to retain the knowledge, you know, once you've written it down. Um, but yeah, it's very old school. <laughs> now that you've written your first adult novel and I know you say you just need to write the story you want to write without necessarily thinking of the age of the readership but now do you is your next novel going to be an adult novel well it's um so double lives isn't actually the first adult novel I've written it's the first adult novel I've published um so I have I, I did. I started a master's years and years ago at um, at UWA, um, and that was at the time that my YA books were just being published. And my master's was on it was adult fiction, and it was crime, and it was a revenge story, um, which there's like eighty thousand words of that that needs a you know a little bit of a renovation, and you know it's probably okay. Um, I've written another one. My my agent and I were talking yesterday, and and I said to her, I've got this book. It's, if you like Gone Girl, uh, it's kind of like that. And she went, send it to me. And so they're there, you know. Um, and But then again, like my PhD is YA. So I, I, I would be really happy to to do whatever. What it, whatever is a compelling read, whatever, you know, 
people are going to like, whether they're young adults or they're adults. And and I think most of us will agree that adults read YA. I mean. Yeah, oh, for sure. Mm. Mm. So um, uh, you're already a very established author, um, but if you could cast your mind back, because a lot of people love to know this sort of mm. thing, on how you got your agent, um, it, tell us that story. Well, my agent is actually relatively recent. So I, I've I've always sort of, I've been in a very privileged position where Fremantle Press, who published my YA books, they act as your agent as well. You know, it's a, it's a small publishing house and they cocoon you and they look after you and they sell all of your rights and not without your permission, but, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, do, they do the right thing. Uh, so I, I've always sort of um, been on my own as such and it was only recently um, I was approached, a girlfriend of mine in New South Wales was part of a writer's group and one of her friends had got this new agent and she mentioned me to this agent and this agent was really interested and she's starting up her her own agency, and it was it was just a it, it's just a liberating feeling to actually have somebody else deal with that, and that's what is so nice about having an agent. And Fiona is you know fabulous, you know she's just so wonderful, and and she has managed to you know get Double Lives to a to Echo Publishing in Sydney, and and they've just been amazing, you know. So um, finding an agent is actually very difficult. And I know I looked into it when I first got published and you're probably, it's probably easier to get a publisher than it is to get an agent. <laughs> it's, it's, it's this real, yeah, it's, a, it's really tricky. Mm. Tell me about your writing day because you stopped being a full-time teacher in 2018. So when you are in the depths of writing, um, is it, a, a full focus on writing because I know that you, you know, do some other things as well. But when when you are having a writing day, yep. what does that look like? How many hours does it go for? Does it, you know, start at the crack of dawn while you sacrifice a goat or something? Is there a ritual <laughs> that you go through? <laughs> it feels like it. Um, well, my my husband is also a writer and um, he he has this really cute little um, wooden cabin in the back garden, and we've got this beautiful back garden. I've got this is this is the space I'm in, which is a beautiful room which looks out into the garden. Um, but we normally get up, we go to the gym, we go to the gym for seven o'clock in the morning, come back, and then I'll go for a walk on the beach. We live about four hundred meters from one of the most beautiful beaches in WA, um, and then so really I'm at my desk day proper at say nine o'clock nine o'clock and then we just work we'll stop and we'll have lunch nick will sometimes go and get us yum cha we'll sit in the back garden and have yum cha and then it's i'll see you later see ya and then i'll come back here and he'll go back there and then we work until about four it's it's full on like nine to four mm. and and i it has to be you know you have to be completely disciplined about it. Otherwise you'd find yourself, you know, falling down the rabbit hole of, of the internet, you know, getting on YouTube and, you know, whatever. But, um, and I do do other things. I mean, if you can see behind me, there's a calendar on the wall there. That's all the other things that I have to do as well. Uh, and so at the moment, I think it's the same in the Eastern States, but at the moment here we're in exam time and I, 
I hire myself out as this external marker, which is ironic because one of the reasons I gave up teaching was because the marking was just killing me. <laughs> but in this exam time, I take on, you know, all this marking and so I fit that in as well. Right. What else do you do? Um, so I, I call myself an education consultant. Um, I go to I go to schools and I teach year 11 and 12 students how to write for the composing section of the exam. Uh, I also do book talks and author talks. Um, I do the marking. The marking is is a big part of it. And, of course, I'm doing my PhD. So Goodness me. I think, though, Kate, you need his and her sheds. I, I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> I think you absolutely need your own writer's shed where yeah. you can, you know, personalise it. He can have his, that's fine. But yeah. he's got a shed, you need a shed too. I know, I know. I think that I, I really I really ripped myself off there, you know. I, I was luring him into my home. I was like, here's a nice little place for you. <laughs> <laughs> my partner and I have sheds, a shed each. But his has electricity and mine doesn't, so that's got to be rectified. Right, totally. <laughs> All right. What was the most rewarding thing about uh, writing Double Lives? Um, I think it's actually a bit sad. I think my my mum died last year oh. and um, I just think she would have loved this mm. book and that was the most rewarding thing. I mean, I dedicate it to her, but... Um, it was just, I think she would have gone, oh, you know, you've really, you've really got it here, you know, because my mum, um, my mum was, I like to say my mum had a God gene. She was always searching for something. And I think that when, when she was a child, they were Jehovah's Witnesses and, and then she left the Jehovah's Witnesses. And then she, I think she joined the Church of England and then she did this and then she did that. And at the end of her life, she was Buddhist. Um, and I think she was always searching for something. And I, and that's kind of what I think comes through with the whole religion cult stuff. Oh, she was part of a, she was actually part of a flower essence cult. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I think mum would have really liked that. So that was kind of one of the most rewarding things about the book, but she never got to see it. Um, we always end with what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would love to be in a position where you are one day? Yep. Um, my first tip would be never give up. And I think that the difference between a published writer and an unpublished writer is the published writer never gave up. You're going to you're going to get rejected. You're going to get, um, you know, patted down all the time, but you've just got to keep going. And so I think tip two would be you've got to believe. You've got to believe that you can do it. I I remember as an aspiring writer being told you've got more chance of making the Olympic team than you do of getting a book published in Australia. And I watched <clears throat> I watched the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games and there were plenty of people on that team. And I was like, you made it to the Olympics? Well, I'm going to get my book published. Uh, so I think you've got to have a you've got to have determination, you've got to have belief, persistence, resilience. It's all about being resilient because haters are going to hate. And I won I won the West Australian Premier's Award for um, Destroying Avalon. Can I tell you what the judges said? No. But can I tell you the worst review I ever got? Yes, word for word. And it began 
Destroying Avalon brought tears to my eyes, tears of boredom. Now, that has never left me. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, you've just got to go, okay, you didn't like it. And my dad used to say, you can't please all the people all the time. And I think you've got to, so you've got to have all of these things and you've just got to have a love for it. Last night at the launch of Double Lives, uh, an aspiring writer said, I'm writing this book, but I'm, I'm not really invested in it. And I was like, well, then put it down. If you're not invested in it, you, it's not going to be authentic. It's not going to be you. So put it down. Come back to it at another time. If you think it's a good story but you're, you're not really ready for it, leave it. Mm. Stories last, as we know. You know, they endure time. Look at The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> Love it. So don't give up. Yep. Believe in yourself. Yep. And what was the third one? Oh, I think I blended them all together. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> believe in yourself. Um, oh, and be and be invested. Be passionate. Oh, yeah. Do it because you love it. Yeah. Brilliant. People say, why do you write? And it's like, why do you breathe? You know, like you can't not breathe. I can't not write. And I think that that's, you know, that's just what I wanted to do. And I think that when you feel that way, um, I've got a a, a friend, um, She's she's an aspiring writer and she's so good. And I said to her, look, I don't want to come across as arrogant or anything, but if you want a mentor, I would love to mentor you. And she sends me her work and she's getting commended and, you know, highly recognised and she's going to be a published writer. I'm convinced of it. Brilliant. So, yeah. Yeah, if you're not invested in it, it's not going to happen. But if you are, persist because, you know, it's a matter of, out, outlive, outlast, outplay, right? <laughs> totally, totally. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Congratulations on Double Lives and thank you so much for your time today, Kate. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Let's hear from Sarah Bailey. My name's Sarah Bailey. Um, I've got a debut novel through Alan and Unwin out at the moment. It's called The Dark Lake. A crime thriller. I was working in advertising at the time and I was working at a great company and had a really sort of good career but I just had this burning desire to write all the time. I'd heard really good things about the Australian Writer Centre's course. Um, the reviews were always really positive and people always sort of providing really good feedback on social media so um, I just thought that was a really good place for me to start. I found Nicole Hayes, the tutor that I had in the course that I did through the Australian Writer Centre, really inspiring. Um, really down-to-earth um, teaching style, but just a really great way of um, pulling together some of the writing skills that she's picked up over the years. She had such a passion for narrative and structure, um, and being a published author, she had some, some really practical um, advice and knowledge to share as well. The process for me was just setting my own deadlines, which was something that was covered off in the Australian Writer Centre's course as well. Went, this is how many words I'd like to have by these different points along the year. And then I um, just worked towards getting the words down. And then I sort of um, approached agents and then the agents helped me approach publishers. In the end, when Alan and Unwin decided to publish the novel and um, that was all confirmed, it was, it was amazing. It was just such an amazing um, experience to go through and I felt really fortunate, um, but also really proud because it had obviously been you know, a really hard, um, hard sort of journey to get there. 
Through the course at the Australian Writers' Centre, I discovered that writing was something that was really, really important to me. And then, of course, you know, through meeting the people and the tutor that I had, I also picked up a lot of really invaluable skills as well. I think it really just set me off on the right path. Um, and then since then, obviously, so much has happened in my world in terms of writing that I really do see it as the first step um, that, I, that I took along that path. It's amazing. I've, I feel very, very fortunate to be in the position where that's, that's my current life. So I think that was a, that was hugely important um, in terms of getting getting started. Definitely, anyone who's interested in writing and sort of taking a, a, a more serious step toward that as a career or even just a, a more specific hobby, I think the Australian Writer Centre's courses are really worthwhile. I think it's just it's always nice to be um, in an environment where people are passionate about what you're passionate about. Um, and I think that the, um, the skills and the information that you get from, from courses like that just, just help you sort of really focus. For me, the creative writing course was, was a great starting point. I think it just made me um, rediscover my love for writing at a basic level all over again. Um, so I think that I've definitely spoken to other friends and have suggested that they give it a shot. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creativewriting. So now let's talk about crutch words. So, you know, when you um, like, don't really know exactly where your thoughts are going and are like going and so you um, fall back on words like um and like and really and uh and etc. and so on. Anyway, those types of words are called crutch words as in a crutch that you use to support yourself, of course. As well as the common ones I just mentioned, everybody has their own crutch words or crutch phrases that they use. I was listening to a podcast recently and one guest kept repeatedly using the phrase more or less. And I mean, he used it every second sentence or practically every sentence. So that was obviously his crutch phrase. Now, crutch words are not inherently bad. They're useful to help you think through your thoughts, but overusing your crutch words can make you sound a bit, well, strange sometimes, and you definitely want to avoid using them too much in your writing. So I want to know, do you have a diabolical crutch word or phrase that you find yourself relying on again and again, or does someone else use one that you just hate? or one that you love, let me know. Post in the Facebook podcast community group. All right, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. And if you do have 30 seconds to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast service of your choice, that would be great because it helps other people discover the podcast. And I would absolutely love that. Anyway, if you'd like to connect with me on social media, of course, please do so in the Facebook group and on Facebook, but also you can find me on Instagram at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, and also on Twitter by the same handle and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.